The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. I have uh, two women in the studio with me this afternoon. One is observing. She's going to give me a grade at the end of the show. Uh, And the other is our very special guest who happens to be a local woman in the Philadelphia area, and I'm honored to have her on the show today. Her name is Marcy Shankweller. She is the founder and CEO of for Pete's sake, which is a nonprofit organization that provides respite vacations for young adults facing cancer. Uh, and before we welcome her to the show, I want to give out our call-in number. If you're listening and you would like to, to join us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so by dialing 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. And uh, just to let you know, we're on multiple platforms. Uh, You can uh, listen to us live stream at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. And our podcast is on iTunes. And we are also live streamed to TuneIn Radio. Uh, TuneIn Radio is spelled T-U-N-E-I-N Radio. And that's a free app where you can listen live as well. So I would like to welcome our guest this afternoon, Marcy. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. Good to be here. I'm thrilled to have you face-to-face. I, I have do a lot of call-ins, and I'm always, you know, very happy when people can join me in the studio. It makes for a better interview. Um, and I want to talk about, I want to start out, I guess, uh, learning a little bit more about you and your younger years to give the listeners a sense of where you came from and what your family dynamic was when you were a young girl. So I understand you were the oldest of nine. Yes, the oldest of nine children, and my parents had their own business and blessed with, you know, a great community around me um, from Doylestown in Seattle City, New Jersey, that really shaped who I am today. Uh, and it was just, it was a, my parents are, are great role models for my brothers and sisters as we grew up in working hard and um, don't letting, not letting fear hold you back, you know, mm-hmm. and always being kind and compassionate. And that's how they live their lives. And uh, I think that most of, you know, all the nine of us, that's how we live today. So, well, being the oldest, I would imagine you had a lot more responsibility than the youngest. Were you a take charge, you know, uh, kind of was, bossy sister? I was a take charge, um, I think, to a certain point. Um, you know, my younger sisters would probably say maybe to to a detriment at times. Um, <laughs> I think I like to escape once in a while. You know, I love to read as a child. And um, they always used to laugh, like, when we did our chores, I would always disappear to, like, read the newspaper. Uh-huh. So they still remind me that today. That's um, a great hobby, reading well, it. Yeah, it was. And that was my peace and quiet um, yeah. as the oldest of nine. Um, but you know what? My We had a great... A community of people, too. Like, I went to school in Dolestown. Um, you know, we were involved in our community. You know, I worked down in Seattle at a bakery where I met people from all over. Um, so I think my parents really instilled in all my siblings a really good sense of, of family, you know, and communication and healthy communication and, um, you know, just working hard. Yeah. Entrepreneurship um, in, in a family, I think, always seems to 
offer a lesson to the kids that you have to step up and and contribute and and help you know um, where different from when a dad or mom goes off to an office and the family's not really involved in the day to day. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. I could I can relate it to a great story. Like we when we were uh, really young, my dad would need help at like five o'clock in the morning, and we would all lay in That's our right. beds and we could hear him coming up the steps, <laughs> and we'd be like. Please don't come into our room. Please don't. <laughs> don't let me. it be me. Don't let it be me today. <laughs> I mean that's and that's really you know that I, I mean that's a vivid memory we have and we all laugh about it today because you know once in a while it was you and right. you know you had to be there and you had to perform and it was an expectation that you had but you know in the sense it was a great gift and we had so much fun doing it. Yeah. Is anyone running the business today? I do. My my two brothers okay. have run the business and my um, father is retired. Uh, and my mom actually works with me at, for Pete's she sake. Does, oh, that's wonderful. She that's does. wonderful. So now I'm her boss. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to boss no. our parents around. Oh, I yeah. tell you, it's a nice dynamic. But she's a lovely pe- person, so I'm yeah. very fortunate to have her. So tell me, you know, as a young girl, we always have, you know, dreams and thoughts about what we want to be when we grow up. Grown-ups are constantly thinking, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was that for you? Yeah, I think the first time I, I think it was um, – like I said, I love to read, and I love to read about science, and I always thought I'd be an astronaut, in all honesty, wow. one day. Um, which never was, too late. No, no, never too late. <laughs> um, so I think that was really kind of what I did. And then, you know, I, you know, teacher. Um, but I guess I just, I never really, other than being like an astronaut, and then maybe like when I was in high school, I was thinking I could be a doctor, because I did like the medical world. And my brother was actually diagnosed with cancer when he was young. So I was the oldest oh. and he was the youngest. Yeah. And I think that kind of attracted me to that. Now he's healthy now. Good. Um, you know, he's he's uh, a grown adult um, and doing beautifully. So I think that, you know, it's like those life experiences as you go by, you kind of change your perception of mm-hmm what you want to be. But I think my mom and dad would say they just want everyone to be happy. Yeah, right. That's the most important. Um, tell me about where did you go to high school? I went to the Mount, Mount St. Jude's oh, in Flower Mount. Town. Yes, where my yes. daughter graduated. There we go. See, another nice Another connection. connection. Yeah, what a wonderful school um, that teaches young women they can be leaders, right? Yes, they do. That's mm-hmm. one of the main messages. Um, so it's important, you know, the, the foundation um, started because of uh, your husband, Pete, and you met. You were high school sweethearts. I'd love to know, you know, about meeting him and what was it that attracted you to him back in the day? I think, you know, I would say first his smile. Um, I met him when I was a senior early in the year. Although I knew him from Seattle City, he was a lifeguard, and I worked in the bakery, and the, he used to come and get donuts, oh, ironically. Okay. Um, so I always knew who he was, and there's pictures of us as younger children back at the Yacht Club of Seattle dances. Um, but it was in my senior year, I guess I really just, his smile attracted me and his warmth, and he just had a certain warmth in his personality and how he approached people. Um, and I remember just speaking with him. Uh, it was when the Flyers were in the playoffs. It, it, it tells you how back in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember thinking, you know, he's a really good person. And mm-hmm. I think he just, he just emulated that warmth and that goodness. Yeah. So then did you, you, you both went off to college. We did. And where did he go? He went to LaSalle, and I, I ended at, up at LaSalle. Okay. So we ended up going to school together, oh, which did. was really okay. a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I understand you majored in math and education. I did. I did. I started off as biology, and then, you know, I, I, I had this great Christian brother, um, Brother Bangs, um, who really helped kind of guide me. And he said, you know, you, you really would, are strong in math. And 
I said, well, maybe I'll just be a teacher. Like, and you know, I think you just look back on that time and it's just, you know, the type of guidance you got at LaSalle was really um, individualized and he just helped point me in the right direction and really kind of, as opposed to like just getting an education, it was really um, a way to think, you know, and a way to analyze and a way to like really, really put your hand around um, a, a situation and then really be able to make the most of it. And that's really, so that education just was so immense and I had great mentors in the faculty there. As in the mount. Yeah. Tell me, I want to know what you think when you look back now going to an all-girls academy. Um, how do you feel that helped to shape you, Had you know, different from going to a co-ed school? In other words, did you take certain lessons from being in that kind of environment um, with you? I did. I think it was uh, the sisters of St. Joe's and having, uh, having, a, I, having a specific teacher at a school in that um, I had a a woman named Sister William Teresa, who was my math teacher, ironically, who always believed in me. And no matter how hard I struggled, and I did struggle, like it was like they were very, very challenging math problems. And I would say, I can't do this. And she said, you know, Marcy, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Um, and I ended up actually going back and teaching for her for a period of time because she became ill. So it was just, it's amazing to look at those connections that you have. And it's the people that you are mentored um, but she really kind of focused me, you know, on it. And uh, and I think I can speak to that, like that's going to an all-girls school. It was the focus, um, and it was the leadership, and it was the service, and it was the spirituality. You yeah. know, it was really, that was an important part of that, of, of our faith development mm-hmm. um, and the role that we played in a bigger picture yeah. in the world. How about other activities? What, what were you involved in when you were in high school? Outside of math. Outside of math. <laughs> it was a lot of math. math. A lot of math homework. Um, yeah. I, uh, I actually played basketball. Oh, you did? So, and I came, yeah. I, my father was a big basketball player, so I played basketball all the time. I mm-hmm. think that was one of my main outlets. Um, and I was really involved in the Catholic Youth Organization. I got on a leadership uh, in my parish and both downtown. And I did a lot. I mean, I have great, great memories of some phenomenal and some phenomenal friends um, from those times, but I think that was an important part of of leadership in developing that. Yeah, sports I just think are so great for for young girls. You know, they really are. They, they develop all kinds of things. You know, um, keep them busy. You know, leadership. You know, definitely, and just kind of learning how to um, work hard and be committed to something. You know. And then being a member of a team, because I think one thing you recognize is, and I, I look back on the formation of For Pete's Sake, this is really a team effort. This mm-hmm. is not Marcy's effort. Um, you know, it was Pete's vision, and then there were people around that vision, but it's really a team effort. And, you know, you have to complement each other on that team. We all don't have the same skill sets. That's right. You know, but when we bring our skill sets together, mm-hmm. you know, collectively, like it can be really powerful and it can be a powerful movement that we don't necessarily recognize at the time. But in retrospect, you know, that's really what the Mount taught me and my experiences at LaSalle taught me, you know, and just today yeah. going through for Pete's sake. Yeah. No, that's a great um, lesson because, <clears throat> excuse me, we talk about it on the show a lot, bringing both the gifts of men and women together. It's it's not about having all women in charge or all men. You know, mm-hmm. when you bring that diversity, um, that's when you have different ideas and innovation and kind of takes things to the next level. Um, so at what point did you decide that you were going to go to law school? 
Uh, well, again, it comes back to like I really I had no idea of going to law school when I walked out of the doors of LaSalle University. If someone had told me I would end up in a law school a year later, I would never have believed him. But um, I had a wonderful, wonderful mentor at my first job, which was for um, the federal government. And it was a training program. And he uh, approached me uh, about five months into the job and said to me, you know, you really should be an attorney. So I don't know if I should take it as a compliment or not going back, but but he it was really it was really his thought. He said, I think you would make an excellent attorney. So I said, okay, sure. And I took the LSATs like a couple of weeks later, and then a what do year you think later, it was? what was it? Do you think your yeah. negotiating skills or? I think it probably was just communication, you know, and just in, and being able to communicate with different people. Um, but I also think it was like a little. Uh, I, I want to say like I was committed, like when I thought of something and it was good and it was the right thing to do. You know, I was committed to like moving in that direction, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that, you know, doing the right thing sometimes isn't always the easy path, mm-hmm. but when it is a path, you know, and you know, it's the path that from a, from a personal standpoint that it's the, that that's the way you should be moving. I think you have to be persuasive in a certain sense and you have to, um, you know, you have to, to, to really kind of harness um, not only like what you have within your thoughts, but then to be able to listen to people and to dissect what they're saying and really just make a really strong, firm, you know, for better lack of words, like argument that why doing, you know, a, a certain path is the right path to mm-hmm. take. Well, I would say that you must have the gift of persuasion and conviction. Those are, you know, two really important qualities, and, and my guess is that your colleagues saw that in you. So, yes, it right. was good. Yes, yes. I mean, here <laughs> I am. Said that, here you are. Yeah, I mean, seven years. I went to law. I mean, I went to four years at night and then three years for my post-law degree. So he really put me on a trajectory that I did not anticipate, you know, at the age of 21. Yeah, amazing. So, so uh, what year did you graduate law school? Uh, I graduated law school in 95, and then I went and got my post-law degree in tax, and I graduated from that in 98. Okay. From Temple. And is when did you get married? Uh, I got married in 1994. So in 94. I was in law school when I got married. Okay. And um, so what happened between 94 and 98, you know, with Pete and, and those four years? What were they like? You know, we got married in, uh, in June. And now I think, you know, you're always anticipating, like, marrying the love of your life. And when you get married... I mean, it was complete bliss. I mean, don't get me wrong. We didn't have our disagreements, but um, we just had a lot of fun together, and mm-hmm. I think we really enjoyed the time that we spent. So he really was my best friend. You know, I mean, I just I confided in him, you know, and and um, I just cherished, you know, the advice he gave me and how I think we complemented each other to become better people. Uh, and that's really kind of how, what what I take away from that marriage. So what you know, the compliments that I necessarily didn't have, you know, he was able to share with me. So um, I went to school then still at night uh, during that time to get my post-law degree in tax. Um, so that was, it was a strain, you know, and it took a lot right. of sacri- self-sacrifice on his part and my part. Uh, so, um, but it was, you know, we had a lot of fun. And what was he doing at the time? Work, he worked work. in a family-owned business. Oh, he did? Uh, he did. Okay. So he worked with his father. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and then his, he had a partner and then another son. And it was just, the, he really enjoyed, like, what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think there was ever any regrets from, you know, what he did, like, on a professional level and the, and how much enjoyment it, he got from it and the people he shared it with. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, the day that he got the diagnosis. Okay. We'll be right back.
Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch. I have a wonderful woman in the studio with me. Her name is Marcy Schwankweller, and she's the founder and CEO of a nonprofit organization called For Pete's Sake. And it's an organization that provides respite vacations for young adults facing cancer. Um, it's an organization that she came to found from um, an experience in her own life, losing her, her first husband, Pete, to cancer at a young age, too young. Um, I wonder if you can just take us through uh, that day uh, when he received the diagnosis back in 1998. Sure. Um, it's a, a day I will always remember. Sure. Um, actually, it was, and I also uh, chuckled because it was when there was such thing as a call waiting, which I guess we still have, but it was just when call waiting first came out um, because I was actually on the phone doing some legal work because um, I was in the midst of, switching positions uh, to become more of a tax attorney when he called and he said that uh, he just got a phone call from the doctor and he'd like to see us in his office at lunch. So Had you know, he gone with some complaints? Of he did. He, you know, it's interesting when you're 20, you know, when you're 29 years old and you, you, you don't feel well, it was just more of a general, I don't feel right. well. And then and there was this, a great fatigue you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, and and ironically, like he tried to mow the lawn one day, and he just couldn't seem to actually get that task done. And I say, you know, we really have to look at like why you feel this way. You know, there seems to be some type of underlying problem. And having known my brother's history too, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was acutely aware that things do come up. You know, and so um, I guess I, it was. I, I my antennas were up. I would say in a certain sense. So. Um, with good that for mind. you, to, because as you mentioned, when we're that age, we ignore, you know, you don't feel good. You just ignore it. You don't have an assumption that something more serious could be going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, that's really kind of just, it, it was that quick, you know, and um, we were in the physician's office, you know, two hours later, and it just led us down a path that, like, I thought was unimaginable, you know, 24 hours prior. Um, so what was normal a normal day now was a day consumed by just uh, the uncertainty of what the future lied ahead. Right. What do we do now? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, before I get uh, to my next question, we have a caller on the line. Um, Nina, welcome to the show. Nina, are you there? 
Okay, I guess we might have lost her. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I wanted to, to talk about when you're, so you're thrown into this and, and you're young. You guys are in your 20s. That's so hard. And um, you're probably just dealing with the day-to-day. Now, what are we going to do? What is the treatment? You know, what is the next step? And at some point, your husband starts to kind of get a sense, I would say, uh, inside, you know, what this outcome was going to be and decided that he wanted to go away mm-hmm. and take a and take a vacation. And, uh, you know, when I was reading your bio, um, I kind of laughed that, you know, he wanted to do that, and you thought, well, geez, I think we should spend our money on, you know, medical bills. <laughs> tell, me, tell me how he won you over. Well, you know, I think, um, well, you know, I guess I had much more serious approach uh, than he did. And that being said, he had he had a strong appreciation like for what the potential outcome could be. Uh, and I, I look back on it and, you know, our friends had a beef and beer at the Mount and, you know, sister Mary Daisy opened up that school and we had 500 people come and they handed us that check that evening back when there was things, the Mac machine and we got a little <laughs> Mac card um, that had money in an account. And it was really like, it was an immediate decision from him um, to just say, you know, it's we just need to get, take that break. Um, and I think it was for him. It was it was time to recharge his battery. You know, he had just gotten th- through a major major surgery and you know months of chemo. Uh, and I think it was to recharge my battery. But I probably didn't even notice. You know, when you're a caregiver, you're just kind of on autopilot, and you just you're not thinking about your needs. You're thinking about the needs of the person that you love so deeply that. And you, and in a situation that you have no control over, so uh, essentially, you know, he really just won me over by just being one persistent son of a gun, you know, and um, and saying, look, you know, there's no like, money is just money, but time is a gift, you know, and while those, those bills are still going to be there, you know, and um, but what you and I are going to be able to accomplish in a period of time is really that that right now is precious and that really right now is turbulent and right, right now is uncertain um it's that it's those like nebulous gifts that you're going to walk away with like being and those memories that yeah. you have yeah. like and and there's there's no price tag for for a memory that's glorious and joyful and healing right so you came back from that trip and i i guess that was kind of an aha moment um for Pete before you, he had this idea about how wonderful that trip was and what that did for him. Uh, my first question is, when you came back from that vacation, was that a time when you both felt that things were not going to go well? You know, I think you always knew, like we had gotten some news right before we went away that his tumor had a certain element to it that was really made the prognosis challenging. So, you know, you always have that in the back of your mind, but then you also have hope. And I think what that trip did for us. It gave us hope. Um, maybe not hope in the sense that you're going to survive this, but hope that there will be a tomorrow, you know, and there was hope that I would have a life, you know, and there hope that this journey will continue for him as long as possible. Um, and the hope that, you know, during this time that we get to spend together, not only Pete and I, but the community around the two of us, you know, that the, that we can all walk away with some wonderful um, kind of lessons 
you know, about the journey of life, you know, yeah. and what we're all going to be called to, because it's a journey we're all going to travel as a result of our own mortality. So, you know, it's just, it's not, it's how we live in that journey mm-hmm. that really defines who we are. Right. So, um, so the listeners know he, he died soon after, was it six months, six months, six months later. That's, mm-hmm. that's so, so quick. Um, how much did he do with that vision and that idea that he wanted to um, provide vacations, respites, you know, away time for other family members and other families that were going through cancer? Well, I think when you're 29, I mean, and he would he would be down at um, at Penn, and he would would there would be some other young people there, but there wasn't a large large number, and he you know, there was no resources out there right. for people in this age group because you don't think you're going to get cancer. Um, and the, some of the people, young people he did meet had small children and they had, they had demands that you know, he and I couldn't, you know, couldn't actually imagine, you know, at the time. Uh, and, you know, essentially, like, he just said, wouldn't it be great if we can give the same gift that we had to these other young people? And, um, you know, so he was actually really involved. Like, he developed the whole concept. He said, let's call it Peter's Homes. And, I mean, he, I mean, to the point where he was like, you know, in my obituary notice, I want you to write this in my, like, you know, in lieu of flowers, send donations oh. to, for Pete's sake. Yeah. You know, it was important. It was to important him. to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think the profound moment came really like when I was with my mom again in the funeral home, like the day he died. And I remember looking at my mom saying, should I put this in his obituary notice? You know, and it really was like an aha moment where I said, you know, and I, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I've had these long conversations with Pete, and then I, it, when the moment actually came, it was like that pause, you know, and you really say, is this the direction? And, you know, I think, I think it was like just, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, all right, just trust and put it in there, and you don't know what's going to come from it, but, um, but we did. So my mom, and my mom was sitting right next to me, so I'm going to put it, you know. She just she a had plug a out to mom. plug out a to plug mom. Out to mom. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. well, that leads me to my next question because, so from that point on, um, you made a decision. You know, you were an attorney at the time and, and a tax attorney. Is that correct? I was. Mm-hmm. And you made this decision. I'm going to leave my job, and I'm going to start this nonprofit. That is incredibly courageous. That's a big, scary decision to make, and I'm. Wondering what you said to yourself um, to to get, move through that fear and go ahead and do that and leave that job. Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I think there's so many different. It's multifaceted. Like I, I guess part of it um, was the fact that I had lost Pete, so I was in the midst of like some like serious grief myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as time went by, and I thought I had experienced some healing, you know, I looked back and I back on that, and I see you no. Know, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? The worst thing that happened to me just transpired. Right. You know, I lost the love of my life and I lost the dreams I had, you know, when I was, when I walked down that aisle, you right. know? And so having that in the back of your mind, it really kind of puts, you put fear aside uh, to a certain extent. Um, and then, you know, Pete's mom uh, came up and said, we're going to have a fashion show to raise money for this organization. And, you know, I look at that, like that was a, that was a, monumental event that we had about eight months after Pete died. Um, and, you know, then you see this community start coming out. And then, you know, I had a, we, I mean, we did, we started it really out of our little house in a bedroom. Um, and, you know, 
we had a bunch of volunteers and then you know I was working and I would get a phone call at my office from one of the volunteers and so it just it was like just a series of different events and then I mean Jim Murray he's a, an old icon from Philadelphia I know who Jim. right so you yeah. know and I I mean I sold him a lot of donuts um in my life at Marion Pastry <laughs> Shop he was like the best tipper he was your best customer he was right? such a great customer oh, shout out to Jim Murray yeah and you know I and I actually it was about noon one Friday afternoon and I remember just sitting at my desk saying I'm just wondering like what I'm supposed to be doing like what is this calling and I picked up the phone and I called Jim Murray. Uh, and you know what? He, it was his grace on the other line saying, you know what, Marcy, maybe you're just not meant to be like where you're at, you know, and maybe this is just, it, it's just the, the journey that you have is, is not sitting right in front of you and you really have to explore it. Um, and it was really kind of that, it was really the conversation I had with him and that was kind of how quickly I want to say I made the decision once, you know, I had had all these different thoughts going through my head for the yeah. period of time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes someone, you know, to kind of push you, push you over the, over the edge, so to speak. You mm-hmm. know, and he's such a giver, right? He is such a giver. Yeah. You know, and again, I mean, I mean, that was, and it was ironic that it was he. I'm not sure if I called him or he called me. I mean, I just remember it was that day, about two o'clock in the afternoon, but yeah. I walked into my boss's office to resign. Wow. You know, and then my mom thought I was having a nervous breakdown because you leave your only, the only secure thing you have, you leave. <laughs> so. <laughs> Little did she know you were going to pull this off. Um, So, you know, starting, I want to, you know, mention your your organization is incredibly successful, and you've sent thousands of of patients with their families um, on vacations. And what better need do they have than to do that, get away from the cancer and the medicine and the fear and all of that? So um, fundraising, you know, for a nonprofit, it's tough business. And there are thousands of nonprofits out there kind of competing for um, support from, mm-hmm. from people in the community. Tell me what your philosophy has been. What has worked for you in the fundraising that you've done? And maybe some things that have not worked. Right. Well, I think, you know, first keep in mind that um, we all know cancer. You know, cancer. And I think there has to be some type of connection um, to to cancer. But even more so in the case of for Pete's sake, there's a connection to the person, like, who's suffering. And Cancer just happens to be the reason that they're suffering, but they really are suffering emotionally and physically and spiritually and financially, and it's just not the patient. It's the caregiver. It's the family. It's the community. It's the neighbors. You know. So um, I think the one piece about for Pete's sake that is interesting um, that and that has been really um, instrumental to our success is the people that we've been able to help and the people that are behind it, and you see that. Um, and, you know, the, the, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the other piece... Uh, that I think of when I think of fundraising is that in giving we get so much back in return, and there are there's there's uh, a group of you know as a as a result of our human condition like and uh, as a, of us being human beings, when you give of yourself, you know, I just knowing the success um, of no matter how big of a gift and it could be the gift of time or how little the gift it could be the gift of a smile like to a stranger going the other direction. But it's just giving a little bit of who we are, like, it just makes you feel better, mm-hmm. you know? And for, I think, for the people who for Pete, for Pete who support for Pete's sake, um, they enjoy giving and seeing joy come of, of their generosity and their own kindness. Yeah. 
You, but you're right about that connection. I think that's one of the things as you know, when we're wanting to give back, you have to kind of choose areas and organizations that for some reason mean something to you, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have to resonate. Would, they have to resonate. You know, we want, we would love to be able to give to everyone, you know, and every cause, but it, you know, it just can't be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you you the organization um, benefits not men and women, I should say, um, ages 24 to 50. Is that still the case? So younger adults. Yes, younger adults. I mean, the average age is probably in their mid-30s okay. that, we, that, we, that we help. And what is the criteria you look for? I know that you partner with oncologists who will nominate their patients. Is there a criteria? How do you come up with these people? Well, you know, we have like, some, you know, you have to be diagnosed with cancer. You have to be within active treatment. You have to live in a certain geographic area because we there's so many people who are diagnosed with dis- this disease and we just can't help them all. Um, but then we also, we really rely on the oncology professionals we ha- uh, to really identify those families that are best suited for what we're able to offer, um, that they can travel, that they're in an emotional and psychosocial state, that they're going to be able to have some great communication with their loved ones during their trip, um, that they're going to have some self-reflection while they're there. Um, you know, we, the way that we've developed our program is we give them um, some some tools to be able to really, really, really um, evaluate like what's happening in their lives we give them journals we give them some select readings from different authors um on spirituality on hope you know on um eating healthy with cancer and so it really kind of we we it goes across the entire spectrum uh of of healing you know of emotional healing uh and that's really kind of the the focus that we've been able to have and you know, we worked with some nominators. Um, I mean, really, <laughs> we have a program committee meeting tomorrow night, and, you know, one of our best nominators was Pete, one of Pete's nurses uh, when he was sick. So, and I think those oncology professionals, they, they're they so compassionate with their patients, and they're so compassionate with that entire family because they're, they're everyone's suffering, you know, during that period that they have just been able to really kind of pinpoint for us who is best suited to spend some time away. Right. And obviously they have to be able to be away from the hospital, you know, for that they're good enough, you know, and well right. enough to go and be away for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me um, about uh, someone you've worked with that perhaps has been a, a very memorable patient story for you, somebody that you've met um, and helped and it's, they stay with you? You know, I... I I mean, I can tell you the first person. I mean, I, actually, I think everybody I meet stays with me. I mean, I think that I take a piece of them and put it in my heart because that's really, like, that's. I think that's my personality. But I also just think it's, they inspire me, right. you know. Um, so, I'm, I, I mean, there's, the very first person we sent away, like, the very first time the phone rang, like, at my house, and it was a different line, it was a man by the name of Jim Miller, um, and he's local, and he, his sister had pancreatic cancer. And... Big family, you know, one of like six siblings, I think. And, you know, he said that we've done all we can to help my sister and her husband and their son. And I think it was like maybe about seven at the time. And he's like, can you help them? You know, and it was just to be able to respond and and affirmatively say yes. I, I'll never forget that feeling. Um, but, you know, I've had just, I mean, I, I there's, 
there's a woman, um, Wayne Gonzalez, who lost her husband to cancer that we sent them away, and then she ended up getting pancreatic cancer two years later, and she passed away. So she had two small children, but her wisdom and her how brave she was and the courage she had, you know, I think each one of these people, like, they, they just have such courage, and they just are able to really live life, you know, even if it's in a defined period of time that's left, mm. um, and embrace it. And I just think that, like, that's, I try to take all those different pieces. So for every Oyen and, you know, and there's just, there's hundreds, absolutely hundreds. There's too many. And, you know, I feel really blessed. Like, I feel like I remember a woman, Dara, um, you know, we give people the choice of whether or not they want to bring their children on trips. You know, and I've had people say to me, well, that's, you know, what, why would, you know, of course you would bring your children. But, you know, I, I, this woman, Dara, who said to me, you know, Marcy, if my husband's not okay, my kids won't be okay. You know, and I just want to be with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and I think that's what makes our our respite vacation so unique because we really try to work with each patient, you know, and their caregiver to really kind of address what are your, like, what are your needs at this moment? Yeah. You know, and what can we do to help you? And I, I know that the organization has just organically grown and expanded over time, which is what always happens and is so wonderful. And you've partnered with a lot of different people. Um, we're going to take one last quick break. And when we come back, I'd love to talk about those partners, people that are helping you. Okay. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. 
And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items, such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. We are speaking with Marcy Schweinkweller this afternoon, who is the founder and CEO of For Pete's Sake, a nonprofit organization that provides respite vacations for young adults uh, battling cancer, which is such a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to do. Um, I know that, you know, everything kind of organically started to grow and expand, and people reach out you know, out of their kind, you know, the kindness of their heart. Um, but then you, at the same time, you're, you're running a business, right? You have to keep it going from a financial standpoint. And um, you have to come up with ideas on how we, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to get the money? How are we going to find these vacation spots? And one of the things that you do is, you know, people in the community and perhaps on a national level will offer up their vacation homes. Um, what other ideas do you have, you know, that are coming in the future perhaps. And, and my thought was about Airbnb, which is a whole new phenomena um, for finding places and, and getting people to, um, you know, build those relationships and, and find places to send these, these families. Right. So I think you have to be really creative uh, in kind of the approach that you want to have. And, and then you have to be able to manage the growth too. So um, one thing that we've found successful is really aligning ourselves with specific travel partners uh, for example, like Woodlock Lodge, and again, that's um, a personal relationship with the Kiesendahl family. And then, you know, here we are in Philadelphia, like Apple Leisure Group, you know, and Apple Vacations, again, a, a family, you know, who, the Mullins who are involved in that. So I think it's really like looking at businesses that have um, that have a, some type of uh, allegiance to the travel industry, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, and recognize the significance of some time away. And what it can potentially do. Um, so that's where we, we're looking at, like, those types of travel partners. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the Airbnbs that you can that can somehow promote, you know, excess time yeah. in a home. Right. I mean, it's a lot to manage. You have your, your <coughs> special events, um, and then you have the destinations and, you know, um, individual support and donations and corporations and business it's a lot right it is a lot and then you know i think that and you know we talked about earlier before we're on air about the philadelphia community we live in a really really wonderful community of philanthropic people um so you know i can just a funny story is i was driving down the road and i saw this man's name jeff devano on a um on a billboard for Brandywine Realty Trust, and I said, that can't be the same Jeff Devano that was on the crew team with me at LaSalle University. There so, you know, you I go. called him up, and I said, could you help me? You know, and, and Brandywine's been so generous with um, helping us with office space, mm-hmm. you know, for all these years. So I think, you know, coming out and asking and identifying, you know, the need, like mm-hmm. this is an underserved population, and there's really um, very few resources that are dedicated to it. Uh, and dedicated to this age group. So when you're when able to put all that together and then really not be afraid to ask because right. you're not sure what the response is going to be, um, right. it, it, it can open wonderful doors. Mm-hmm. I, I love the phrase, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. 
right? Right, so right. So why not ask? So why not ask? And, and yeah. you know, I, I just, it, and, you know, establishing relationships with some wonderful leaders of Philadelphia. You know, yes. we, we I, I think that we've been able to get different people engaged at For Pete's Sake uh, on a personal level because it is person to person. Like you can tangibly see the results, you know, of of what we do, you know, by just going on our website because every day we have a family that's away. Yeah. No, there's a good saying. See, every day we have a family away. See, I mean, there's a great little phrase. I just thought of it now, but no, now hey, that we'll, rhymes. Yeah, rhymes. <laughs> a year from now we'll have a big billboard, but you know, who knows? But um, but I think that just being able to seize that, seize that, you know, opportunity. It's ironic. Pete uh, had inscribed uh, his saying was "Carpe diem." And after he passed away, I put that on his in the inside of his wedding ring. But I think that's really what you got to do. You got to seize the day, yeah. and seize the opportunity um, to to do it. Because ultimately, if you know you're doing good, again, coming back and doing the right thing, you know, um, the, it, it can be abundant of what uh, you know of what can transpire. Yeah. Tell me what the greatest need of the organization is today. Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. You know, it, it probably would depend on like me. I, I could think of ten things, but I, I would probably um, I would probably have to say what what is the most challenging part is sustaining an organization in the nonprofit climate we are today that we have today in the financial like climate that's around. Um, in the sense that, you know, we have made a conscious decision for year after year to help as many families as possible. And then just last year, we realized, you know, we we really have a, a major responsibility to those doctors who deliver, you know, bad news and at the same sense deliver the news about a for Pete's sake respite um, all in one. And looking at that and saying, how are we going to sustain, you know, a the level of families that we're able to help now, B, and continue to grow to help more, um, and C, make sure that we're around, you know, and sustain, like, our mission right. because it's so critical. Right. So, you know, we launched a, a Healing Hope and Happiness campaign, which is an endowment, you know, and that's a com- component. Um, and that's been really exciting because you really get to see, like, the um, – you get to see the amount of people who, who want to make a lasting impression. You know, and people say, well, you know, cancer could be cured. You know, people are always going to have emotional needs during that journey mm-hmm. with the disease because it is, it's all-encompassing. Yeah. Is your goal to become national? You know, I, I guess, you know, I, I would probably say in a sense we're national because we get donations from people in 40-plus states because we have to run that. Uh, we run those lists. Um, we've helped people probably from about 20 states um, you know, we're really we. It was it became about overwhelming uh, a couple of years ago, so we really kind of re- really kind of outlined our geographic region, and, and we're actually even kind of refining it more because we just we realize that we just can't say yes to everybody. We we turn away, you know, 500 plus families who have inquiries to our program. Mm. How um, many are so, on your team? How many people do you have working with you? Uh, there's there's six of us full time, and then about four of us part time. So that's not enough. <laughs> no, it's really not. And, you know, I think that, you know, part of it is when you ask me, like, I love creative talent. Like, I just love having people help, you know, and talent is, you know, when you run a nonprofit, you rely on a lot of people who have a lot of talents. You know, I have a great board chair who's in the PR industry. I mean, you know, I just, I have attorneys who help. I mean, it's just, it, and I think collectively, again, it's coming together with all these different talents, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. That really make us uh, really like the little engine that good. Right. Okay. Tell me what you do for you. What do you do for yourself? 
What you, you have two children, young children, right? T- ten and eleven. Uh, and ten 12? and twelve. 10 well, and 12. T- yeah, she just turned thirteen though, so yeah, ten and thirteen. Right. Um, so you're juggling a lot. You know, we don't we don't like to talk about work life balance in here because there's no <laughs> such thing. That's just silly. Um, but what do you do? You know, really when you're when you're not in that office and brainstorming about how we're gonna you know help that next family. Yeah. What are you doing for yourself? You know, I love to coach. Um, oh, I think you? coaching is really, I, I find it like just being able to give it yourself again, like it's just really a great gift, um, especially to young girls, basketball, ch- volleyball, oh, you know, okay, I just great. enjoy that. Yeah. Um, you know, my, as I said, like, um, my second husband is, is a saint, uh, because he really works so hard like for, for Pete's sake. But, uh, I, and I think he's just so supportive of myself. Um, and he, he's always willing to give. And, uh, what is and his name? We should Mark, give him a sh- Mark. His name's Shank. Actually, his name's Shank. I call him Shank. I don't even call him Mark for Shank Waller. But everyone makes the kind of says, I mean, his mom calls him Mark, but I call him well, the, Shank. Well, the boys always give each other a nickname. Yeah, they, they never do. go by their birth name. In this case, it's the wife, too. So I yeah. do, you know. But um, <laughs> but we actually go to Seattle a lot. Okay. Um, I just, sure. I find yeah. like that. So I feel like it's like one, it's like the closest step to heaven, like for me. And you walk along the beach, and um, I just think it's so, it's so peaceful. Yeah, uh, and the beauty just really lets you stop. You know, I mean, we all want to take, we all need to take a break. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I think, you know, this time of the year you can talk pe- talk to people about like what their vacation plans are and what they're going to be doing this summer. And, you know, we all need to take that break. Um, so I think for me, like I, I cross that bridge and, you know, there's not a, there's not a care in the world. And, you know, I just, I get to be with the people that I enjoy. Right. Um, tell me what you think. Do women come to you for advice because you've done this, you know, and you're you're somewhat out there in the public eye? Do they come to you and and you know when they're they're looking to to make a decision or um, whether it's family or or work and and ask you for advice? Yeah, I, I actually I do. I, I have a lot of people who reach out to me. Like whether, maybe they have been through something traumatic and some type of tragedy and they want to give back in some sort Mm -hmm. um you know and and i try to help them kind of decipher like their own thoughts and what what that giving back looks like Mm -hmm. you know um and where where are they like emotionally in there and what what role do they want to play in it so i feel like i've mentored some people who you know have chosen to start nonprofits or in the alternative have just chosen to align themselves and collaborate you know with different groups that are um that are that that give them, you know, some type of, you know, personal satisfaction in being a member of that group. Um, so I, I do do that quite frequently. And, you know, it's always, um, you know, and I also get a lot of phone calls, like, from people who are going through cancer. Uh, and, you know, it's not an easy journey, especially when you have a young family. Um, and, you know, I always, you know, I, I had I had a great um, man say to me once when Pete was in the hospital, like, say, when I, and I said, I just can't do this. Like, I just don't know if I can survive, like, what's happening and what's transpiring. He said to me, you know, you're going to love that person more and more every day, you know, and that's what we're all called to do. And, you know, I think when I get phone calls that people saying it's like it's an overwhelming journey, and I said, you know, but you get to love them through it. Yeah. You know, and, it, and what a privilege, remarkable privilege to be able to love them through it and how lucky they are, you know, and, 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 they might not see it then, but, you know, fast forward years ahead, like, I think that was a great gift that Pete gave me. Mm. Yeah, it's always a gift to the giver, isn't it? And, it and is. And a lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me how you stay hopeful when you're dealing with people that are battling cancer on a regular basis. 
Well, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not always hopeful. Sometimes, I think sometimes I feel like I'm the Debbie Downer. My, my, my colleagues will tell me that once in a while. But you know what? I, I think, um, you know, I think that what we do is we bring joy and we bring happiness and we bring laughter. You know, and we don't bring cancer to the forefront. They're there because they have cancer, but they're also there to really have fun. You know, they're there to communicate. They're there to touch. They're there to, you know, celebrate. And I think that's really like the essence of, you know, of that time away and what that really does. So just like what we experience when we go on vacation, they experience the same emotions but only magnified. Right. right. You know, and and that's really like that's that's the thought that really kind of inspires me. And I think, you know, I I mean, I have I have a, a friend from high school who's battling the disease and was at Penn like Friday and she's at Penn today and it's encompassing, all encompassing for mm-hmm. her family and and it's like when I see that it you just inspired to do more, you know, and you're inspired by this inner strength of so many people, you know, in their journey. Yeah. Something that you said that I read and it and we spoke about it before the show and it is really a very simple statement. Kind acts can change the world. Talk about that, why you believe that's so deeply. You know, I think I'm the byproduct of many kind acts, you know, from when I was a child, like to, you know, all my different experiences. You know, when people took time to be kind to me and people took time to to give of themselves um, and, and their time to me, like I've tried to just re- really recognize the significance of that. Uh, and then in turn, you know, it only takes that one act of kindness that can change someone's life. Like, in, and, you know, and I think that, like, that's such a profound thought. You know, we always think it has to be layered on things and it has to be such a grand scale. But I remember, like, one of my first board meetings and a board member said to me, if you've changed one life, like, you've, you've accomplished your mission, you know. And whether it be professionally through for Pete's sake or then personally, like, if you can just, you know, reiterate the fact that, you know, in giving you get so much back and being kind is really, you know, it's doing God's work. Yeah. I mean, that's every single day. Right. That's certainly the most important. What do you have any aspirations to do something other than the work you're doing with for Pete's sake? Uh, or, I mean, I know it's all encompassing and it's enough, <laughs> but, you know, is there anything else you think one day? I mean, you're young, you yeah. know, you have a, a long life ahead of you. I feel like I've seen gray hairs, though, so that's I don't know. Okay. How you. <laughs> um, you know what? I, um, no, I do give it some thought. I, I guess, you know, in, in, I do give it that some thought, and I think the one piece I will always do is I will do something that I love. You know, what, whatever it is, it will be the right thing. Like, I, I will be in the right spot, you know, and I, I'm meant to be where I'm at. And, you know, it's kind of like that theory of, of just knowing that, um, you know, someone sent me a thing on abundant thinking, and I read it, and I was like, it's just knowing. Like, when you know where you're supposed to be, life can be have abundant blessings. And you, I'm assuming you talk to your children about these, you know, um, these, these thoughts, these philosophies in life, and you have a daughter. And I'm wondering what you talk to her about when you're trying to instill in her that confidence and self-esteem to go after, you know, what it is she wants to do and not get caught up in all the social media nonsense. Right. I say, you know, it's about, it's about people, you know, you're only, you, you, people will, um, the, it's being around people who make you feel good about yourself and you make them feel good about themselves in this journey together. I mean, that's, and it's those relationships that you have. 
that really are the driving factor be, be, and how I define success. Yeah, what, what do you think is the thing that kind of holds women back? When it, when it comes to leadership, obviously our program is about leadership. It's not just building confidence and, and building that self-esteem. It's about taking action and leading it in any industry that is important to you. You know, you, you said the phrase, somebody needs to drive the bus. Collaboration is important, and, and we use that word all the time today because, you know, you find when you bring different thoughts and, and diversity into a room, you're going to – something great is going to happen. Um, but women still today kind of struggle. I think there's cultural reasons for that, but um, struggle with the courage to take on a leadership role. We're always volunteering. We're always wanting to help. Um, it's in our DNA. Rather than ask you what you think holds in the back, what do you think we can do, I would say, for young women to, to have them find that courage to not only participate but to lead something? You know, I think it's the biggest part. Um, it's probably just knowing that you have the ability to do it and having the confidence to maybe not always make the right decision, but you make the best decision that you do, that you can at the time, you know, with the circumstances that you know. And then really taking that and being able to have some reflection back and say, was it the right decision? Was it the best decision? You know, and and taking, putting all that together and then moving forward, you know, and always moving forward without the fear. You know, I mean, we're none of, we're none of us are perfect. You know, but if you if something happens that you didn't expect, own it, you know, recognize it, figure out how you can make it better the next time, and mm -hmm. take that step. Yeah, and understand that those that you are going to make a mistake and and fail, and that's where the lessons come. Yeah. Can you quickly give out your website where people can find you and learn more information? Sure. Our website it's for Pete's Sake Cancer Respite Foundation, and it's takeabreakfromcancer.org is the website. Terrific. Thank you so much Thank for you, coming Sue. in today and sharing your story. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Please check out our website to learn more at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week. <laughs>